a federal emergency as Californians are hammered by another winter storm. The ground is saturated, so all that runoff, well, it is just going to aid to the flooding. We'll have the latest. I'm Scott Simon. I'm Aisha Roscoe, and this is Up First from NPR News. A California lender, Silicon Valley Bank, catered to high-rolling tech investors. But it collapsed yesterday, the second largest bank failure in U.S. history. We'll tell you what happened and how federal regulators have stepped in. China's President Xi Jinping kicks off his third five-year term and makes some government appointments. His new premier wants to lure back investors after COVID lockdowns, but is he just a yes man? Stay with us. We've got the news you need to start your weekend. The latest in a parade of storms has hit California, causing widespread flooding and two deaths. Heavy rain as much as 10 inches is compounding the effects of the several atmospheric rivers that hit the state earlier this year. Mudslides are forcing road closures, and some towns have even been evacuated. Reporter Matt Gillum of member station KCRW joins us now from Santa Barbara. Matt, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Give us some idea of what's happening there, please. Well, in Southern California, where I am, we're getting off pretty easy compared to some of the other storms that have come through this season. This one has been pretty mild, but that's what forecasters predicted. It's a different story as you move up the state. In Kern County, which is north of L.A., areas surrounding the Kern River have been evacuated due to flooding. I'll let National Weather Service meteorologist Antoinette Serrato explain what caused the river to jump its banks. Uh, This warm rain came into the area, and in places that had low-elevation snow, That low elevation snow isn't supported by a very stable, thick snowpack. And so what really happened is that that rain melted the snow and created rain on snow runoff. It's a similar story for other rivers as well. Many are running above flood stage. And in Santa Cruz County, flooding has triggered mudslides and washed out roads. And this is rain, not snow like some of the storms that uh, that hit earlier this year. That's right. Like earlier storms, this one is an atmospheric river, meaning it's like a conveyor belt for moisture, channeling water vapor from hundreds of miles away right into the Golden State. But those were cold storms, bringing snow, as you say. This time, we're getting hit with a so-called Pineapple Express. It's a warmer storm, and it's hitting many parts of northern and central California with more rain than snow, even at higher elevations. Matt, this is quite a contrast with, with California which is usually under drought warnings. Uh, Are officials doing anything to try and capture all this water that's suddenly soaking the state? Uh, Yes. Governor Gavin Newsom issued an executive order yesterday that cut some of the red tape surrounding water storage. Uh, Along with that order from the governor, he's declared states of emergency tied to recent storms in a majority of California's counties. And just yesterday, President Biden authorized an emergency declaration for the state. The regional FEMA director, Robert Fenton, says... That allows FEMA to direct other federal agencies to provide life-saving and emergency assistance as needed to respond to not only the current events happening right now, but the other atmospheric rivers as they come. If there's any silver lining to all of this, the series of storms has worked wonders for our drought. At the start of the year, 35% of the state was experiencing the U.S. drought monitor's most severe conditions. Today, we are completely out of those categories, and a quarter of the state isn't experiencing any drought. Matt, what indications are about when the storm system might move out? Short term, this system should clear out by tomorrow. But another atmospheric river is on its way early next week, so not a lot of time to absorb all this water before we get soaked again. Reporter Matt Gillum of member station KCRW. Thanks very much for being with us, Matt.
Happy to do it. It's the biggest bank failure since the global financial crisis 15 years ago. Silicon Valley Bank catered to some of the most powerful tech investors in the world, and it collapsed on Friday. NPR's David Gura joins us now. Hi, David. Hey, Aisha. So Silicon Valley Bank uh, is not really a household name, but uh, tell us more about it. It wasn't as widely known as Goldman Sachs or J.P. Morgan Chase, and it certainly wasn't as big as those firms. But in this world of tech, Silicon Valley Bank punched above its weight. For 40 years, it did business with venture capital firms and the companies in their portfolios. So this was a very specialized bank with a very narrow expertise, elite clients, and it was a vital part of the tech ecosystem, which has been under a lot of pressure lately as the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates to fight high inflation. We've seen less investment, Aisha, and some of the biggest names in tech have laid off tens of thousands of workers. What led to this bank's collapse? I'll stick with interest rates because that's the backdrop to all of this. When they're low, it's cheap to borrow money, and the availability of that fueled unbridled growth in the tech sector. Plus, during the pandemic, people were turning to Facebook and to Netflix to pass the time, and that boosted profits at tech companies, which also helped Silicon Valley Bank. Well, the situation has changed. Interest rates are much higher than they were, and they're continuing to go up. And that means borrowing money is more expensive, and venture capitalists, the investors that make bets on tech startups, they're keeping their powder dry. And the demand for tech products has declined, which means tech companies are getting more conservative with their money. Recently, Silicon Valley Bank saw an uptick in withdrawals, which made executives worried And this week, its CEO said the bank had sold off a significant part of its bond portfolio to be able to handle all these withdrawal requests, and it took a massive hit, a nearly $2 billion loss. Well, that news really spooked its customers. Even more of them pulled money out of the bank, and we got what's really a classic bank run, where customers fear they won't be able to get their money, they line up to get it back, and that hammered Silicon Valley Bank's stock price, Aisha. On Thursday, it fell by 60%. What prompted regulators to step in? Growing fear of what could happen and that this could spread. The worry was other banks could also see a run on their deposits, and regulators were fearful about this risk of contagion. Thursday was a brutal day for banks. Investors sold off shares of some of Silicon Valley Bank's midsize and regional competitors, and even the big banks saw their stock prices sink, although not as dramatically. Now, there's no indication other banks are in trouble. Bank analysts I talked to described what's been happening as panic selling, including Jared Shaw at Wells Fargo. It's really just, you know, a fear that has gripped the market and uh, is is sort of self-perpetuating at this point. So what happens next? Well, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation is effectively in control now. That's the FDIC, and it's created a new entity to manage the bank's assets. And the FDIC said that by Monday, Silicon Valley Bank's clients who had insured deposits will get their money back. But keep in mind, the FDIC typically only insures up to $250,000. And customers with deposits that exceed that amount, that's most of Silicon Valley Bank's clients, they'll face a lot more uncertainty. It does seem like regulators were able to forestall the that they were worried about. But I go back to that backdrop I mentioned at the top. Interest rates have gone up a lot. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said to Congress this week they're likely to go up even more than the Fed expected. So the challenge is not over for these banks that are adjusting to a new reality, Aisha, and also for their corporate clients, especially in tech. NPR's David Gura, thank you so much. Thank you.
It's been a significant week for China's rubber stamp parliament, which is meeting in Beijing. The National People's Congress handed Xi Jinping a rare third term as president. Overnight, it helps him consolidate power in another big way. It appointed a new premier who is a close ally of Xi. For more about the man who is now China's head of government, we turn to NPR's John Ruich in Beijing. Hi, John. Good morning. So tell us about this new premier. Like, who, who is he? Yeah, he's Li Chang. He is, uh, he is a 63-year-old career politician who hails from the coastal province of Zhejiang, just south of Shanghai. Now, analysts who are trying to understand what he's all about, what he stands for, where he might take things, uh, say that where he's from, in this case, is a pretty key clue. Zhejiang has been an engine of economic growth for China for decades, a hub of private enterprise and entrepreneurship. And Li Chang built his career there. Now, in fact, he didn't leave to work anywhere else until just before his 57th birthday. So while he was in Zhejiang, he worked his way up through the local government ranks. In the early 2000s, got a big break, and he was appointed Communist Party boss of a city called Wenzhou, which was sort of a hotbed for entrepreneurship and private business at a time when China's economy was supercharged, double-digit growth, I'm sure you remember it. And Wenzhou was lauded as a model for other parts of the country, so it was a real springboard for him. And he went on to become the governor of the province, the party chief of a neighboring province, and then he ran Shanghai before becoming premier. And so what about his relationship with Xi? Well, in short, he owes his career to Xi Jinping. Two decades ago, uh, Xi Jinping was sent down to Zhejiang province uh, to run the whole place. Uh, Xi apparently liked what he saw in Li, who was running that city of Wenzhou at the time, and he made him chief of staff two years later. Uh, They worked very closely together until Xi Jinping left the province in 2007. Apparently, they formed a very strong bond. And Li is obviously someone that she trusts deeply to this day. He became premier without serving a single day as vice premier, which is something that hasn't happened since Chairman Mao's days. So what are the implications for the Chinese economy, which is, is, you know, it's hurting right now? Yeah, it is. Uh, That is a great question that nobody seems to be able to answer yet. I mean, Lee could be great, right? People who've met him say he's sharp, understands markets. He absolutely gets the value of private businesses and entrepreneurs, which are critical to China's future and critical to China being a dynamic economy in the long run. In Zhejiang, he championed private businesses like the huge tech titan Alibaba. He did the same in Shanghai. He's responsible for bringing in Tesla, which opened its first overseas factory there. Here's Victor Xi, an expert in elite Chinese politics at UC San Diego. Very likely his own belief system, value system is, generally speaking, pro-business. But, of course, he did not get to his current position because he is pro-business. He got there because of his loyalty to Xi Jinping, which was on full display last spring when he was running Shanghai and Omicron hit, right? Li tried to manage it with a light touch, but cases kept rising, and by all accounts, Xi Jinping told him to get it under control. So he implemented that harsh, unpopular two-month lockdown. So it sounds like the big question is, which Li Chong will it be? The the loyal one or the pro-business one? Like, that's what we're trying to see, right? Yeah, it is. The thing is, those two aren't necessarily incompatible. But Li is going to have to strike a balance between policies that serve Xi Jinping's fixation on control and security uh, with policies and reforms that are going to help stabilize the economy and drive it forward. That's NPR's John Ruich. Thank you so much, John. You bet. 
that's up first for Saturday, March 11th, 2023. I'm Aisha Roscoe. And I'm Scott Simon. Tomorrow on Up First, how and why do viruses spill over from animals to humans? What makes some more deadly than others? And as always, be sure to find us on the radio every Saturday and Sunday morning for Weekend Edition from NPR News. Find your NPR station at stations.npr.org.